Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasetta from Somerset CCG, and I'm joined by my colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP and CCG uh, Clinically for Mental Health. And this week, we're going to talk about the strengths of compassion. And if we start with a quote from the Dalai Lama, compassion and tolerance are not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. What do you think of that, Peter? I think that's a a very powerful statement. I I enjoy quite a lot of the Dalai Lama uh, quotations. And he's certainly somebody who's demonstrated that it's possible to be compassionate and strong. Uh, under very difficult circumstances. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in this subject. I, I know it's one that you chose, Andrew, and I think it's a fascinating area. I'm, I'm going to put my sceptical scientific hat on and say, what on earth has it got to do with mental health and emotional well-being? So you've, you've got the next 20 minutes or so to convince me that it's a really important area and that our listeners should uh, know all about it. Thank you, Peter. Well, I suppose we ought to start by saying what compassion is. And the Dalai Lama, again, described compassion as a sensitivity to the suffering of self and others with a deep commitment to relieve it. And it comes from the Latin, which uh, the words which mean fellow suffering. But, you know, Peter, we are social creatures as human beings, and we're actually designed in our nervous system. It's, it's not fluffy stuff. This is science. We're designed in our nervous system to show care and kindness and compassion. And whatever we do in life, we benefit from both showing and receiving compassionate care. And uh, not just as a species. I, if, if you're a fan of uh, Twitter videos like me, uh, you'll often see... I don't know, cats bringing up orphan puppies or, you know, actually different species showing compassion for each other. So it some, seems to be something very deep rooted in our, in our psyche, doesn't it? It is, but it's not just the psyche. It's actually in our biology. You see, as mammals, there are three main emotional systems. The first is drive, which motivates us towards seeking resources and the feelings we have are wanting things, we want to pursue things, and we want to achieve and progress, and we're focused. And that's a system that's dopamine dominant. And then there are the two aspects of what we call the autonomic nervous system, which is a bit like your engine management system. Uh, And there's the sympathetic system, which is nothing to do with sympathy. It's all to do with threat. It's to do with finding safety, uh, avoiding threats, and and uh, it's based on adrenaline and noradrenaline, and we have feelings of anger or anxiety or, or fear and disgust. And the third system, which is very relevant to compassion, is the parasympathetic nervous system, which is about chill, rest, and digest, but it's also about soothing, um, and it's about affiliation, um, a, a word which means being social, with others, treating somebody else as our brother or our sister. Um, and the feelings we get are contentment and safety and connection. And the, uh, the neurochemicals involved are, are opiates, which we hear quite a lot about these days, but there are, they are endorphins. They are, are our endogenous, our opiates that are produced inside us. And oxytocin, which is the other great uh, hormone that's to do with touch and and soothing uh, and connection. And I know uh, in our discussion about anxiety, we discussed these 
uh, different things before, didn't we? And that a lot of the problems arising from anxiety are down to sympathetic overdrive. So does that get in the way of our ability to feel compassion? Because I, I think a lot of people will be listening to think this, thinking, well, I don't see much compassion in the world at the moment. Um, Peter, you're absolutely right. The sympathetic nervous system, which is, as we say, nothing to do with sympathy, it's all, all to do with danger, threat and alert, it switches off everything else. Uh, it helps us survive by running away from the tiger or climbing the nearest tree when we're being threatened. But what it doesn't do is help us connect with people. And there is a great need for us to connect. And in order to be able to do that, we have to have ways of, of turning off our sympathetic drive and uh, an exercise that we have done before is just to focus on the breath. And if you're listening to, to this whilst driving a car or, or, or using heavy machinery or whatever, please don't engage in this exercise. But by putting our feet on the floor, allowing our spines to be upright or comfortable and taking three slow, gentle, regular, rhythmic abdominal breaths in and out just gently actually slows down that sympathetic drive that buzz and flurry and busy busy worrying and allows us a degree of inner stillness and from that inner stillness we can find connection with others and from inner stillness we can show kindness to others much more effectively well, it's been a few podcasts since we've done that exercise, Andrew, so it's nice to be reminded of that. I've, I've had a couple of comments of, from people about how how useful they found it. Uh, luckily, nobody's been driving along the motorway at the time who's, who's attempted it. You mentioned dopamine and drive and so on. How does that interact with the other two that we talked about? Um, so it motivates us. So if, you, if you're either on alert or, or chill... Uh, you still need the motivation factor. So it's a sort of a bit like a Venn diagram, three circles interacting, uh, and there will be a, a sweet spot, not necessarily where they're all in the same proportions in the centre, because but, but where there's a little bit of sympathetic drive, just enough to sort of tick over so we're aware of surroundings, where there's enough drive for whatever present circumstances we need, but there is inner stillness and connection so that we can, I suppose, so that we can perform at whatever we're doing in life effortlessly from a point of inner stillness. Yes, sometimes in some of the jobs and some of the tasks we need, we need some adrenaline, we need an edge, we need drive, we need game, go, go, let's, let's get this task done. But to do that long term, day in, day out, hour in, hour out, uh, minute in, minute out, means that we've always got our foot on the accelerator and we're never refueling the tank or servicing the engine. So we need drive, but we need to be able to relax it as well. And from personal experience, I think a lot of us will understand that. I, as you may know, I'm a black belt in Shotokan karate. And so it's not that there's one good and one bad, but what we're taught in that is to be able to switch very quickly from one to the other. So you're going from completely relaxed to absolutely focused. Uh, and, and so you, you, it's not that drive is bad or good or sym sympathetic nervous system is good or bad. It's the ability to recognize when you're in one state and be able to switch into another state where it's appropriate. Is, is that something that 
you you would agree with, or am I talking Absolutely. nonsense? Absolutely. You see, unfortunately, that sympathetic drive, the, the the fear, flight, and flight mechanism, actually shuts down the parasympathetic mechanism, but it also shuts down the thinking part of our brain, the frontal cortex, and stops us from thinking rationally. It focuses us, but it stops us rationalizing, and it also stops us nurturing. So if there is too much fear around as a dominant emotion, it it erodes compassion. Whereas if we've got enough parasympathetic going on, um, then this is deeply related to nurture and compassion and really probably integral to us as being human beings. It's, it both requires, but it also allows secure attachments to, to come about. And what actually happens is that our limbic system, that's the um, amygdala and the other bits, which name I've forgotten just for the moment. Um, oh, Peter, help me on that. Hypothalamus. Is Hypothalamus. The... Yeah. It enables that to mature uh, and um, become more settled and less responsive to immediate threats. And um, if you see a small child which is, which is feeling insecure, it feels very jittery and, and upset until its mother's around, and then it feels much more much more comfortable when the caregiver is there. And we need that uh, limbic system to mature through our lives in order to give ourselves uh, the inner stability. And of course, that's something you, we see in people who have personality disorder, where because of really severe stress as children, that hasn't happened. And so it's very difficult for them to form mature relationships and be in touch with their feelings. And they tend to get overwhelmed by emotions in later life. Absolutely. Um, but if we can practice anything towards compassion, it, it is a win-win situation because two things are happening. There's a connection with another person and that, that results in in a sort of an almost an energy flow of love towards that person and a connection to them. And in connecting to somebody else, we're connecting to a deeper aspect of humanity, not just ourselves and our ego, but we're connecting to a, to a wellspring of, of, of ability to be compassionate uh, to others. And I suppose I would put a warning out at this point um, to, to the caring professions, that's our profession and all the others, and that is that on the whole, we're pretty good at, at being compassionate to others and we try it and it's part of our professionalism and, and we do it to the best of our ability. We often forget self-compassion. We're often as human beings quite hard on ourselves. And that's a phrase I've heard you use before. And it's a very interesting one. It's a bit counterintuitive. Do you want to unpack that a bit? Um, yes, please. So, um, most of us will praise others. We will we will um, say how well they've done, and yet we're hard on ourselves. Um, most of us can be nice and kind to a friend in difficulty, yet when we're in the same difficulty, we beat ourselves up or we're critical to ourselves. Um, and uh, there's an American psychologist called Kristin Neff, uh, N-E-F-F, who's done 15 years of research on self-compassion and finds that it has all sorts of health benefits uh, and that there are reasons why we may or may not be self-compassionate. Her website is self-compassion.org uh, and I was listening to her talking 
uh, just recently, and it was very interesting to, say, to hear her say, if you're choosing a partner, ask, ask him or her to do the self-compassion score on my website first because you want to choose somebody who's who's good at looking after themselves well, that, that's interesting because i i think a lot of people will re- relate self-compassion to selfishness and of course the two are completely different aren't they they are completely different um being selfish is being concerned only with ourselves to the exclusion of others and self and, and being selfish also would include accumulating hurts and distress and upsets and insecurities and not doing anything about it. Um, Self-compassion would mean that we recognize that we have hurts and upsets and distresses. We acknowledge ourselves for who we are. We are kind to ourselves and we allow ourselves to, to grow out of them. You see, criticism never won an argument, um, and yet we criticize ourselves most powerfully. Can I just share one of my favourite Aesop fables at this point? <laughs> Please so, Aesop, Aesop was a Greek many years before the Common Era, and uh, he tells the story of the North Wind and the Sun. And the North Wind and the Sun decided to have a battle, to have a to have a, a, a discussion as to who was the strongest. And um, the North Wind said, "See that man down there with that coat tightly held around him." I can win this argument. I'll get it off him before you can. So the sun said, well, okay, you can go first. So the north wind blew and blew stronger, and the man tightened his belt and blew stronger again, and the man did up all the buttons and zippers and whatever they had in those days. Uh, And the north wind reached gale force uh, point, and even though the man was hiding behind a rock or took shelter behind a rock. He got blown out into the force of the wind again. And still the coat didn't come off. And the man held it tighter and tighter and tighter around him. And eventually the north wind gave up and said, well, okay, it's your turn. And the sun shone. And shone. And shone. And surrounded the man with warmth and kindness. And he took his own coat off. Fantastic. Still relevant today. Another phrase I've heard, Andrew, is um, self-parenting. Is is self-compassion related to that? Um, So self-parenting, thank you, Peter. Self-parenting is the ability to be kind to ourselves, to look after ourselves and help ourselves grow. And if we do that in a kindly way, um, it will go better. So self-compassion, I think, is an essential aspect of of self-parenting. You know, if, if we want our children to grow up with bad behaviour, all we have to do is criticise them. And forgive me, listeners, I'm, I'm talking very much tongue-in-cheek. Um, you know, if, but a child that is always criticised and beaten will learn up to criticise and beat. Um, a human being who, cult, who holds hurt inside will be able to hate. A human being who has resolved their hurts and their discomforts and their hates and who understands kindness and who understands challenge um you know none of us should be a pushover we should be able to manage conflict but that doesn't mean we have to lash out or hit out um so well generally about now we would give out if somebody wants to know more uh and be helped the the somerset mindline uh number but we're not going to do that this time so if somebody recognizes that they're not very good at self-compassion and they're convinced by our, your arguments even if they're uh, skeptics like me, how how do they actually 
put that into practice and grow as a person and, and learn a bit of self-compassion? So um, I'll give you three um, resources, if I may, but also there's a, there's a lovely exercise of the, the inner smile, which we could think about briefly. Um, the three resources are Kristen Neff's website, self-compassion.org. Um, I must mention um, Professor Paul Gilbert, who wrote um, extensively about compassion. And then finally, there's a website, healthandself.care, healthandself.care, um, on that, there's a, a book that we've put together, and there are two whole chapters on compassion. We, uh, we couldn't edit them into one chapter because it was such an important topic. So that's, that's got a, a lot of information, that, including some of what we've discussed today. But a, another exercise in, in the book, Health and Self-Care, is one put together by William Bloom, which is um, about the inner smile. And that's just essentially asking us to be still in ourselves, to look at ourselves and our bodies and to smile on our faces about something that makes us happy and then transfer that smile down through our body, through our face, through our throat, through our chest, through our abdomen, arms and legs, just so that we can allow ourselves to bathe in, in appreciation and gratitude and kindness and compassion. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deceptively simple exercise that floods us with positive neurochemicals and in a way is very selfish in a nice positive way because it's actually good for our own health. And certainly I've read that if you actually do smile or force yourself to laugh, even if you feel unhappy or depressed, the act of doing something like that can actually change our neurochemicals and change the way we feel inside. Is, is that something you've... Absolutely. If you, um, if you hold a positive frame of mind for more than, I think it's about 22 or 23 seconds, um, we start, you know, our brains start to wire new connections in very positive ways. And so um, from some love within us for ourselves and, and shown to others and inner strength, compassion can flow easily and effortlessly if we choose to develop ourselves. And if we feel valued and, and thanked and we thank ourselves, then the flow of compassion is, is ever easier. And an attitude of gratitude makes the world go round. That, that sounds like a wonderful quote. You, have you copyrighted that or is that from somebody else? <laughs> no, it's, it's, just, it's just out there somewhere. <laughs> and, and what you were saying earlier about that self-awareness and then, and then smiling, that sort of links into me with what we talked about earlier with mindfulness and then with other things like uh, meditation and yoga and so on. And, and of course, there's laughter yoga as well, isn't there? Yes. Now, that's something you know a little bit more about than I do. So would you like to explain that? Ooh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, I, I know nothing. Um, like Aristotle, going back to the ancient Greeks, all, all I know is that I know nothing. Um, but I, 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 I'm very, very sceptical about all of these things. And, and so as a medical student, I, I did some yoga. I did meditation. Um, I've, I've got into all of these things, coming at it absolutely from a sceptic. And I'm afraid I've been completely convinced that it is something that, that does work. Uh, and it's so easy in our day-to-day -day job to just get caught up with, with being human doings and stop being human beings and sometimes just stopping and appreciating it. And, and again, sadly, uh, having had uh, coronavirus where even the act of, of breathing 
became something that was very difficult. And uh, I, I, I really thought for a few days I, I was going to die. Um, so even that day-to-day -day taking a breath without struggling is something that you appreciate. So even, even difficulties, I think, can be an opportunity to grow. Uh, they are. And you mentioned some scepticism as a medical student about some of these topics, but you'll be pleased to know that there is now a, a, a great body of scientific evidence about the benefits of mindfulness, about uh, self-compassion, particularly Christian Neff's work, uh, and um, something like 1,500 research papers uh, on the positive benefits since she started researching it. Uh, and on the health benefits of, of, of yoga, including laughter yoga and, and others. So what might have been thought of 20 and 30 years ago is, you know, well, maybe this is a bit, um, bit strange and, and, and certainly not scientifically based. There is now a, a good evidence base for all the practices that are compassionate towards ourselves, that nurture our health. And after all, our body is our vehicle, and um, if we take care of the vehicle, it will look after us well. If we fail to service our car, we run it on bald tyres, we don't fill it up and we don't check the oil and water level, we can expect a breakdown, and you can bet, you can bet your bottom dollar that the breakdown does not happen at the most convenient time or place of the week. I, I always like that analogy, and in both physical health and mental health, to me, it's about putting the right petrol in the tank, driving it properly. It's not about having endless MOTs. It's, it's about actually um, putting it right. And I, I think we're more and more about checks and uh, measuring blood pressure and, and things like that, which are great, but that actually looking after ourselves in the right way is probably more important for men mental health and physical. Thank you. There's a question that arises is how are we in modern society at large um, in 2020 on, on, on compassion? Uh, and I think this whole COVID experience has been really interesting because on the one hand, it's, it's been very, very challenging for a lot of people, particularly living in confined spaces and locked down for a lot of time. And I'm sure it has tested the patience and the the, the, the kindness of, of, of many people in those circumstances. And yet the experiences of people in some of those situations and in many other cases is that there has been a, a great outpouring of, of kindness towards others, of, of, of valuing um, what is important to us. Even though some of us have lost our jobs, some of us have lost loved ones, and some of us have, have had, had other losses, um, there is... And there seems to be an understanding that there are important values that underpin a lot of our living that maybe we take for granted and 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 some people have been fortunate enough to to refine certainly the NHS has been greatly appreciated and it's a privilege to be part of it but the compassion is everywhere in life it is isn't it I, I think often the news gives us the impression that that it's it's all terrible out there um, but Obviously, newspapers don't sell if they report that uh, something good has happened. Um, but you're, I'm sure you're right. We've, it's felt as though in difficult times, we've even more needed to look for compassion, whether it's Major Tom or, or other stories like that of, of individual heroism and compassion. Uh, community spirit seems to be an incredibly important thing. And I, I think that's probably what brought together people because we're a lot in lockdown 
we needed to clap, and it's great that it was for the NHS, but I think it was partly about people just needing to come together and saying, we're a community. Or am I now getting new age and waffly and... Um, no, I think it's. I think connection is is hardwired deep in the psyche of human beings and in the biology. So if we honour that and we work with that, um, it works to our benefit. Fear is also hardwired, but if we allow ourselves to be governed by fear, by that sympathetic nervous system um, uh, um, overdrive, then it doesn't help us. Um, compassion is actually a tender flower, and it does need a supportive environment to to flourish. Um, but when supported, it really is the most beautiful of flowers and just smiles at us and smiles through us and uplifts both us and others. Sounds a bit poetic, really. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if somebody listening thinks, well, this is all very well, but actually I'm in a really difficult place at the moment and tender flowers are great, but I, I haven't got a garden, I, I haven't got anything, actually, and I'm feeling pretty awful with my life. What are the practical things they can do to get to the place where they'll be capable of, of feeling compassion? Is it, is it about techniques to reduce the anxiety and the fear and then learning these other things that you've talked about? So, so I think, firstly, if anybody's in a really difficult position, do ask for help. Um, in Somerset at the moment, we've got Mindline available 24-7, which is 01823-276-892. So please don't suffer in distress and, and silence on your own if you need help. Um, however, when it comes to nurturing ourselves, um, we all need good sleep. We all need to be hydrated. We all need to have um, food and nourishment at, at appropriate times. But we need to try and somehow slow ourselves down so we're not speeding along. And, and I have to say, time in nature and being grateful for either the sunshine or, or the rain uh, and the trees and the, the hills and, and other aspects of nature is a great way of helping us calm to still ourselves and to connect with a deeper aspect of ourselves, which allows us to be still. And if we then slow down our breathing and allow ourselves to do slow, regular abdominal breaths, we can take ourselves into a place of inner stillness. And if we, at that point, we appreciate something, we are allowing ourselves to move strongly towards compassion to others and towards self-compassion if we choose to turn our focus there. I think that's a perfect place to end, don't you, Andrew? Thank you for convincing me that compassion is a really important subject and that it can help us in very practical ways. And I will do my best to uh, be still and appreciate nature. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.